Rome once fell, and all great civilizations do. Is America falling? Could we be doing more? Some say it's because we have stopped focusing on learning and understanding what it means to be a good citizen. That's what this podcast is all about. If civics is dead, what happens next? Welcome to Civics is Dead. I'm Cindy Schwartz. We continue our investigative journey into why social studies and civics is not given the same number of classroom hours that math and English are currently receiving in classrooms throughout the United States by continuing to focus on the why. In our last episode, we introduced the why by focusing on the passage of the No Child Left Behind Act that was passed during the presidency of George W. Bush. No Child Left Behind, in its efforts to set high standards for students and in its desire to hold schools accountable to meet measurable success, like a business might, basically set up an environment of incessant testing for students in grades three through eight with annual tests in math and reading. Punishments in the form of less funding or closures could result if proficiency among the students wasn't reached. This led to a fixation on standardized testing, teaching to the exam, frustration by teachers who were really given no training, or if there was training, it was very little, in the types of exams that would be rolled out. The result was an environment where teachers were teaching to exams, increased student and teacher burnout, and again, the decrease of classroom teaching in the social studies, civics, arts, and humanities in favor of math and English language arts. Decreased critical thinking and decreased historical knowledge of the foundations that our children need to be future citizens in a democracy was truly something that many opposed. And so quite honestly, how can we have a participatory democracy in America and continue the legacy of classical Greece and Rome and parliamentary England if we don't teach our children the foundations of democracy early in their school careers. So where do we go from here? Let's continue to dive into the why and see how something called the Race to the Top program that was rolled out under President Barack Obama in 2009 eased some of the pain of the No Child Left Behind Act, but created new aches and pains of its own. So are you ready? Let's get set. Let's go, and let's race to the top. Congress has not been able to fix these flaws so far. I've urged Congress for a while now, let's get a bipartisan effort, let's fix this. Congress hasn't been able to do it. So, I will. Our kids only get one shot at a decent education. They cannot afford to wait any longer. So given that Congress cannot act, I am acting. Starting today, So Barack Obama will fix the problem. On February the 17th, 2009, President Obama signed into law the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009, sometimes called ARRA. And the purpose of this law was to stimulate the economy, support job creation, and invest in critical areas like education in the aftermath of the Great Recession. And so education reform for President Barack Obama will be tied with improving and stimulating the economy. $100 billion was allocated for education 
with 4.35 billion of that set aside for the establishment of a program he will call Race to the Top Program, sometimes called RTT or RTTT. And this was really a contest or a competitive grant program designed to encourage states to support education reform. And President Barack Obama was clearly unhappy with the No Child Left Behind Act, and so was his Secretary of Education, a man by the name of Arne Duncan. Hi, I'm Arne Duncan, Secretary of Education. First, thank you to NAFSA for the work you do every single day to advance learning and scholarship, foster understanding and respect, and develop globally competent individuals and leaders. Our U.S. Department of Ed shares your mission of promoting student achievement and preparing students for the globally interconnected world we all live in today. From our global economy and international trade to scientific discovery and national security, it is more important than ever that our college graduates are not only able to compete with graduates from around the world, but they're also able to collaborate with their colleagues from different backgrounds and cultures. The work you do and the work of international educators around the globe is fundamental to achieving this goal. For the past six years, our department has focused on dramatically increasing the number of college graduates. To make this vision a reality, we're working to ensure that college is affordable for all Americans who want to attend. But it's not enough to simply increase the number of college graduates. They must also receive a quality education that will really prepare them for the 21st century. And in the 21st century, a quality education is an international education. And that's why we developed a first-of-its-kind international education strategy, which will help guide the Department of Education towards its international future. We continue to promote and support study abroad, area studies, and foreign language learning. To succeed, our students will need the skills to solve complex problems, but in today's interconnected world, they'll also need educators and advocates just like you who teach them the value of collaboration across both countries and continents. Again, thank you so much. Your work and your dedication is enriching the lives of students across the globe. What happens next is that President Barack Obama will lay out some of his goals. And what his goals on Race to the Top are can be described in this way. Number one, he wants to clearly improve college readiness. Number two, he wants to create new data systems that collect information about student progress. Number three, he wants to improve teacher effectiveness. And number four, he wants to reform and help consistently low-performing schools, closing the gap between the haves and the have-nots. And so, if we make it really simple, He's asking for number one, better schools, number two, better teachers, and number three, better standards. What does that exactly mean? Well, in terms of better standards, he is asking for states to consider adopting common core standards. Now, let me explain what that means if Barack Obama is encouraging states to adopt common core standards. We hear that phrase all the time. And, and here's the backstory on Common Core. In 2007, the Council of Chief State School Officers created state-based standards that could be shared nationwide. The idea was that a high school diploma from Tennessee would have the same value as one from Idaho, 
or New Mexico, that all of our students were essentially learning the same thing, essentially, same basic core subjects. In 2009, two years after this council shared what they thought were state-based standards that others could use, in 2009, this council and the National Governors Association agreed to develop what was called Common Core, with input now from teachers, parents, and education experts. One year after that, in 2010, the first Common Core guidelines came out. States could use them or ignore them. Some states accepted them. Some states didn't. And so that's the context of what Common Core is. Now, the Race to the Top program, which is government money that will be granted to states if they do what Barack Obama is asking them to do. It's a contest. They will win the money if they, one, have better standards, if they, two, make for better teachers, and number three, if they have better schools. And so, what exactly does it mean to have better standards, better teachers, and better schools? You're listening to a podcast from LIU Studios. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to this show on your podcast app of choice. For more of our programs or to support LIU Studios, visit wcwp.org. So the Race to the Top program involves, as we said, better standards, better teachers, better schools. Under better standards... The encouragement of states to adopt common core standards was there. It was voluntary, though, but you received extra points in this competition for race to the top federal money for your state if you adopted common core standards. So the federal government was not insisting that a state adopt these standards. It was, though, giving extra points in this race-to-the-top competition if a state did so. Number two, to create better teachers, the race-to-the-top program linked teacher and principal evaluations to student performance. Hence, assessments would be needed to determine student achievement. And if students were doing well, then clearly teacher evaluations would reflect that, as would principal evaluations. Many teachers, and of course their unions, had difficulty with this. Better schools, how does one create better schools? Well, certainly having higher standards and better teachers will help, but the idea was also that there should be school choice. In Race to the Top, Barack Obama encouraged states to expand charter schools and close those schools that were underperforming routinely. Perhaps those schools could be reopened by private industry or they could be operated by the state. And so that is essentially the race to the top program. Now, ultimately, again, this program was a contest and states were competing to get federal grant money. And as we said, it was over $4 billion that could be given to these states. Ultimately, 46 states and the District of Columbia completed applications 
to the first phase of this competition to get federal grant money. Phase one winners were Tennessee and Delaware, and they won $500 million and $120 million, respectively. And the announcements of their winning that money came out in March of 2010. So clearly, they adopted Common Core, they had better teachers, and better schools. But I must make a note that both Tennessee and Delaware did not adopt Common Core at the exact time that they won. So you didn't have to, as we said, adopt Common Core, but eventually they did. Now, what was the purpose of Race to the Top? There is no doubt that the concept was to prepare students to compete in the world and to do well in college. And that essentially we could not complete our mission as a nation if our children were not educated to compete well globally. Phase two of the competition included 35 states and the District of Columbia, and they submitted applications in June of 2010. Ten winners were each awarded prizes between $75 million and $700 million. Interestingly enough, California did not participate. Eventually, funds were exhausted, and in 2011, President Obama asked Congress for additional financial support for losing finalists in phase two so that they could compete again. Congress allocated funds, and these grants to winners were smaller, but on December the 23rd, 2011, phase three of the competition went into effect. Winners received prizes ranging from $17 million to $43 million. Race to the Top did have, as a part of its program, an accountability factor. After states received the grant money, the federal government then subjected states that won Race to the Top grants to a monitoring process that included annual performance reports, accountability, protocol, and site visits. After receiving an award letter, a state could initially withdraw up to 12.5% of the total award. The remainder of the grant money could only become available to a state once that state had submitted a final scope of work from the state local schools. And so there was an accountability element. Now, let's talk about the success of Race to the Top. We know, for example, in New York, that New York state officials point to gains students have made by the year 2015 on the Common Core aligned tests. And remember, this went into effect when Race to the Top went into effect in 2009. So there have been gains. And national studies have shown that in New York, for example, they are now reflecting the highest proficiency standards in the country. So it has worked in New York, for example, in terms of testing scores going up, in terms of success as well. States that had promised to do education reform for years, finally did, because part of the Race to the Top program, as we said, was to reform schools. If they were underperforming, then they would either be closed or taken over by a private entity or maybe the state. So that encouraged states to take more actions towards reform. Between 2001 and 2008, states on average enacted about 10% of reform policies that were proposed so states really didn't 
enact many education reforms between 2001 and 2008. However, after Race to the Top, between the years 2009 and 2014, states had enacted 68% of the reforms that had been proposed in their governments. That's a major leap forward in terms of education reform, of bettering teaching, bettering schools, raising standards. And so race to the top, although very, very fixated on assessments, did increase the amount of reforms that states did propose and finally pass. Previously, if states had continued adopting reforms at the pace they had in the past, it might have taken multiple decades to accomplish what these states accomplished in five years after Race to the Top went into effect. So the proposition of Race to the Top policies implemented by 2014 was higher in winning states than in those that never applied, though the proportion trended up over time for all states. So in other words, there is no doubt that even states who chose not to be a part of the Race to the Top program were increasing their reforms as a reflection of the states that were competing because everybody was increasing reforms in general from the impetus of the Race to the Top program. So we look at that as a good thing. However, there are certainly aspects to Race to the Top that are negative. People are frustrated, but teachers believe in standards with caveats. They want the time and the tools so they are prepared. They want our students to have the necessary supports. They want the standards to be developmentally appropriate, and they want this testing fixation to end. That was a quote from Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, stating her frustrations over standardized testing. The negative aspects of race to the top are multiple. Too much testing, just like there was too much testing with no child left behind. And although Barack Obama once in a PBS interview claimed that the reason he wanted to pass race to the top was because we have not been producing as many engineers and scientists like China and other countries, and we need to be competitive. And although the humanities are extremely important, and he didn't want social studies and civics to be on the periphery, he did feel that we were falling behind. And lagging behind meant we had to race to the top, and that we had to improve standards in education, and we had to raise the bar for our students. But tying test scores with teacher evaluation and school performance made it difficult for many to administer these tests and for children to take them. So too much testing was the rally cry of teachers, unions, parents, children. My name is Robert. I moderate a program that I like to think is inquisitive, unusual, provocative, informative. It's called Seldom Said. It's a place where things are spoken of and discussed. They're usually not given a wide audience, yet things that are important, things that affect our lives. It's a world in flux. Be ahead of the curve. Be with us on Seldom Said. Visit wcwp.org slash seldom said to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. 
Diane Ravitch, who writes often about education issues, wrote in 2011 uh, for the Huffington Post an article that's entitled, Obama's Race to the Top Will Not Improve Education. And in that, the argument was this. The critics say, especially leading civil rights organizations, that the availability of federal funding should be based on need, not competition. So that if a district needs money, if a state needs money, it should be based on who needs it the most, not competing for money. This sends a very poor message throughout our nation. Increased emphasis on testing when you tie teachers' evaluations with student test scores forces many teachers to become test-fixated, and many do and will teach towards the test. This will hurt the teaching of the humanities, social studies, the arts, civics, because that would not be the priority. The priority were the math subjects and the English language arts subjects. And so again, teachers might, but often did, and do teach to exams. Diane Ravitch also claimed that there will be more cheating, more gaming the system, because if it's a competition, people might not be honest in how they present scores so that they can get their federal funding. She also said, and I quote, charter schools on average do not get better results than regular public schools because the idea was also to encourage more charter schools. And if one thinks a charter school might get higher scores than a public school, that's not necessarily the case. Secretary of Education Arne Duncan at the time acknowledged that there are many mediocre or bad charter schools out there. But he chooses to believe that in the future, the new charter schools will only be high-performing ones. Diane Ravitch doesn't say that's necessarily true. And she concludes in this article by saying this, and I quote, President Obama and Secretary Duncan need to stop and think. They are heading in the wrong direction. On their present course, they will end up demoralizing teachers, closing schools that are struggling to improve, dismantling the teaching profession, destabilizing communities, and harming public education. Eventually, race to the top will end as well. And a new law, Every Student Succeeds Act, called ESSA, will be passed. And this will reduce federal government's role and give the states broad powers to design and implement assessment systems. Students will still continue to take tests between third and eighth grades and once in their junior year, but scores on exams will not be tied to teacher, principal, and school evaluations, and the power will go back to the states. And that was passed in 2015. In our next episode, we will use the 2018 Brown Center Report on American Education as a springboard for our discussion of how well-prepared social studies teachers are for teaching civics and social studies. We will answer the age-old question, are social studies teachers a different breed? Thank you for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to Civics is Dead on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice 
or visit wcwp.org slash civics is dead. I wish you a beautiful day and great peace in your life.